Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery. With me, as always, Lucy Boyce. Yep. Roger Hart. Hello. Greetings, humans. What have you been reading? Who wants to go first? Well, you've actually been reading some stuff, so maybe you could go first. Uh, yeah. So that seems uh, I have organized. been reading um, the first issue and the preview of Witches, which is a um, which. It, God damn it! Which is a comic that is. Thank you. Um, a new running comment. series by um, Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder. Jock. I always forget his first name and Jock, who doesn't have one. Um, it's just Jock. Um, the latest area. Fuck off. Okay. The latest volume of Black Sad, um, Resident Alien, caught up on that, Exit Wounds, and I also had a quick look at the, um, was it last week, the week before, the Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier thing by Alice Cobb, which is a thing. Tell us about witches. Well, it is a, um, an ongoing, or currently going, I assume it's going to run for a while, uh, kind of Southern gothic horror comic. Um, so, I mean, Southern Gothic isn't quite the right fit, but there's there's some of that in the mix. There's definite swampiness. Mm. There's a, there's it's a more sort of deep vibe. south than the sort of New Orleans Southern yeah. Gothic. But it, it shares some tropes, particularly that kind of aggressive press of a slightly threatening forest and things happening in rural communities. Um, I did a, little, a short write-up on the blog just because I had a spare half hour. Uh, you don't need to apologise. There are... I know, I know, but it just seems odd writing about singles. Um... There are a few things worth noticing about it. One is the slightly very distinctive art and colour style that um, Jock and... I cannot remember the name of the colourist... Um, Matt Hollingsworth. Hollingsworth. Um, ...have put together, which is... It's very kind of knowingly digital and textury. Um, and it really replicates, particularly the opening um, the opening pages, the um, that kind of aggressive press and slightly eerie feeling. And it, it does, as with a lot of the slightly designy recent comics, it does a lot of work with um, with colour. Uh, I'm basically just lifting from what I wrote now. But you've got this idea, it, it sort of over-explains it almost spoilerishly in the back matter. But there's there are hints of this in the um, preview, the sort of eight-page preview comic that they did, which um, you've got these things which are witches and... It's not totally clear what they are. They are probably some kind of ancient and mystical being. They want something and they have rules in their interaction with people and they want things. Particularly they want people. People can be pledged to them in exchange for their service or magic or something. Um, it's not It's not totally clear, but there is a really lovely description in the, in the back matter of kind of how some of the idea came about going on sort of walk in the woods. And it opens with this, this wonderful scene of a woman trapped inside the bark of a tree, kind of screaming from a knothole, and being what looks like about to be rescued by a boy, presumably her son from the way they talk, um, who then just smacks her around the face with a rock until she stops trying to get out of the tree, because there are rules, goddammit, and you've been pledged to them. Um, and it's horrible. And bits of it continue to be horrible, but in quite a well-executed way, as we kind of enter the story of the main protagonist and, and what have you. So. Yeah, I, I read it as well, and I wasn't sort of... I don't think I was quite as taken. I did enjoy it. I, I love think, the style, I think. Like, yeah. That's kind of sold it for me quite a lot. Part, partly I was just happy to read a horror comic that wasn't sodding zombies. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of nice. There's been no exposure of zombies in the X. Although Scott Snyder's done other things as well. He did Severed, um, which mm. was 
serial killers. He's done American Vampire, which is about vampires in America, funnily enough. But sort of, yeah, old world and new world, and the differences as extolled in vampires. Um, and then some horror Batman stuff as well. Mm. Um, I quite like him as a writer. I don't think I've ever sort of completely found one thing that was just brilliant, completely sold me, but I did enjoy Witches. I'll probably carry on with it. It's overusing the jumps, I think. If I had to point at something that I thought jarred a little, it's um, kind of tonal jumps and what are kind of jump scares or just kind of hopping about. It's I think the first issue over relies on that. I found that nothing... I was sort of nodding along as I spotted the tropes rather than actually being surprised by anything it did. Mm. So grim thing happens in the relatively recent but quite long ago past. Skip to the present day. I was like, okay, here's the yeah. skip to the present day. Here's the perky red-haired little kid with a name that used to be a profession 200 years ago kind of thing. Yeah, and she, it's, her, it's her first day at school and in, in cliche Hicksville and yeah. everyone knows about her messy past. Even the kind of the ending of Dad walks in on something horrific. Yeah. Oh no, what could it be? Kind of. It, didn't, it mm. didn't really grab me. I thought it was... Wasn't expecting the deer. Wasn't expecting the deer... I almost was expecting Mum in a Wheelchair. I don't know why, but that that was... But maybe I'm just totally jaded. Possibly. I think the someone being trapped in the house is mm. a very Southern Gothic thing as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, the being someone who just can't leave and is sort of completely physically tied to that location is just one of those things that you do tend to get. And given what's seeded in the preview comic, which is a guy basically having his sister's baby abducted in order to cure, have whatever the witches are, cure some kind of ailment he has. That, you know, there's a potential obvious thing for down the line that could be bargained for. Yeah. Mm. That's the thing. There is, a, there is an issue zero um, for a full-length preview available on Image's website, um, which is... I thought it was about eight, eight pages. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's yeah. not... It's I, I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice short... Yeah, and it's completely separate to the first issue, so it won't ruin anything if you do want to read that as well. Um, cautious recommendation from you on that one? Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it, just partly because of the style. Yeah. I know what you mean about the tropes. I think partly there's a kind of the, the problem of how much exposition you need mm. to fit into a first issue. Which we, we had the I, same discussion about trees, I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I think... The only th- the only sort of first issue to my mind that's that sort of told a lot of story and got and not fallen into that trap of seeming expository is Saga mm. um, of late and that was so that was double length but mm-hmm. there is sort of it does seem to be a step above pretty much any other mm. mainstream comic for that sort of thing at the moment. I mean, it's hard. You're you're trying to sell people on a continued investment, and you need some hooks in them. Yeah, and stuff. There are certain hooks that work. Why would you not use them? Partly, it's it's the industry's fault, is what we're saying. Basically, but the, those guys. But I think there's something in those. The tropes are they're definitely heuristics, right? That they, you know, do I I like this? Do I like these? There's some there's some quick shuffling you can do, and then it plays a little bit against them in places like the well, it, actually, it almost the dad almost is a trope by now, but the especially dad working in the comics industry, someone yeah. in the comic working in the comics industry. Hmm. The dynamite up their butts thing was good, though. There was some nice that. dialogue. There was. I think there's, there's going to be a certain amount of noise on, on the background of this recording because we are hitting the 
Arse end of a hurricane. Yeah, the tail end of Hurricane Gonzalez. Galactus. I I bow to Galactus. <laughs> we we all do, but it sounds a bit melodramatic, though. The idea of a hurricane in Britain—it just doesn't really fit the mental model. I know we get them now and then. It's well, a yeah. thing that happens. Yeah, I mean, it's quite nice. It's just a bit windy. Yeah, I just it's sort of it's, sunny out. It just seems a bit. You know, this is a a damn little island where we have tea and sound like this. We don't get hurricanes. It's it doesn't fit the trope. How will this affect my scones? How will this affect my house prices? prices. How will this affect something, something immigrants? Mm. So that's the concerns of the Daily Mail. And of course, just thumbs up for witches. We should just play a, a universal of, one. We should play a bunch of black box recorder over this in the background. Well, I, I do want to do a, a, a sort of full rip-off of 99% Invisible at some point. So mm. I think... What, where we actually have content? Yeah, where they, where, where they would me. have... You know, I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the sort of soft... Um, soothing voice and uh, we'll, we'll have sort of ambient music in the background but it'll all be gently disturbing I think and, and quite unsettling Does that mean that one of us has to sound like the sort of perky hyper-enthusiastic producer and the other one has to be a retired architect? Yes I don't know which of those I'm less mm. like they I always... don't think either of us can do perky You kind of maybe look mm. like a retired architect but 30 years too young Yeah, they always, re- they always interview a retired architect mm. I, but I, I'm not perky. I'm just no. not perky. None of us are renowned for our perkiness. It's no. Not, this is not the podcast to come to if, if perky is your thing. That's true. We're a gloomy bunch. I was once told that, you know, we sounded like we wanted to die. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's terrifyingly it. accurate. But then it was, well, I've only ever listened to podcasts by Americans and they just always sound much more happy and upbeat and like they're trying to present something. Whereas we're just, you know... I just don't even think trying to present something is our MO. I mean, I'm not quite <laughs> sure why we're here, but it's not to present things. It is to get free apple juice. Oh, shit, yes. Roger, what else do you want to talk about? Oh, what else? So, yeah, um, the latest volume of Black Sound, which is was out last week, is not quite as good as the previous one, um, but still very good because it's Black Sound and it's beautiful and it's well put together. It had more continuity than before. Little, I yeah. thought the sort of the um, they've never really gone back to the same thing before, but they went back to the beat poets from the third mm. one in this. And you I'm are still, beyond nuts. Yeah, I'm still not sure why Alan Ginsberg is a fucking water buffalo, but he is. Um, yeah, and I mean, and an asshole, a massive asshole. Essentially, without wanting to give much away. The story is the slightly timid and, and disenfranchised Jack Kerouac stand-in is on the run and for various things and crosses paths with Blackshead, who is trying to just uh, deliver a car across country for someone. Yeah, and have a nice time. He just wants to have a nice, yeah. nice trip home. It's been a good week for beat poetry and comics. Yeah. Well, oh, of course. So it wasn't this week, but I was going back through Kate Beaton's archives. I hadn't caught up with her in a while. And there's the um, Beat Poets I Spy in the car, which if you haven't seen it, it's, I think it's one of the best punchlines in comics, but that might just be because it's a really weird intersection of my tiny Venn diagram of interests. I don't know if, you know, normal people would think it was the best punchline ever, but... Yeah. I laughed quite a lot. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. I need to see that one. It's good. We should link to it. We should link we should. to it. We say that a lot, and occasionally I do. Um, well, mostly we say we'll link to something horrible I'm talking about just to shut me up. Yes. Yeah. Bra it's made really, of crabs. It's really Bra made of crabs. We will have to link to that for our made of crabs. 
almost sounds like barmaid of crabs, which is an entirely different no, value proposition. That's, that's <laughs> scuttling over here, taking <laughs> our jobs. <laughs> oh. It'd be a good place for, you know, giant crabs to work, though, because you could get away with just moving sideways. Yeah. It'd be quite yeah. handy. I'm playing a lot of Skyrim at the moment. They could dance I heard you like my crabs. Yeah, those guys. Those guys. You're playing on PC? Yeah, but with, with an Xbox controller. It's ha- the best of both worlds. Have you given? Have you installed a mod that just gives them giant top hats and monocles? Fuck no, I haven't. What? Oh shit, that sounds amazing. This is, this is very little to do with comics, oh, but there is, a, there is a mod, if you look for it on Steam, it's called something like Fancy Mud Crabs. And it will Fuck. give them it will give them monocles and top hats. Oh shit! I need to get on this. I think Dace needs to get on this too. Just a lot of Skyrim is being played in my house, and it could be being played with just you know, hundred percent fancier mud crabs. Shit! Awesome. Um, Black sad. Um, Black sad. You're yes. right. It's not as good as previous ones. It was still it was still good. Hmm. It was still good. It's a bit less like furry porn as well than some of the previous ones. Less attractive. Fewer attractive animals. Both, I think. Okay. A lot of it's set around a circus or in a biker gang, so they're, they're hey, that's inherently not more gnarled than previously. Mm. No, it's good. It's I, I'd like to praise it more or get into it more, but it's just more black sad, and it's good. And you know, if you like black sad, go get some more black sad. It's it's good. possibility this is the last one, which I would mm. be quite upset by because it's not much of a note to end on. But no, it feels like you should go back and do something else. Yeah, it just felt. Sort of like an interstitial scene, really. Mm. There's not much going on in it. The mezzanine floor of Black Sad. Yes. There needs to be more. One thing that was interesting about this Black Sad was the new... It had Neil Adams doing translation on it, which is really odd. If you're not familiar with Neil Adams, he wrote Batman for quite a long time. Oh, um, right. And was one of the big sort of first creator's rights um, uh, exponents in comics. And he's also a crazy person. Um, he, he, you can see some of his more interesting views uh, on on his website, but um, the kind of crazy we like, or the kind of crazy we crazy we sidle away from. You can you can buy it in book form, but you would sidle away from it in person. Hmm. So he did um, he did a Batman story recently, um, which is about um, the coins given to Judas Iscariot making their way through history. I like the sound of that. Yeah, that could be fun. Okay, if you like the sound of that, I'll link to it in the show notes, but there's a series of recaps of this book on Comics Alliance, and it is utterly, utterly insane. I assume if this is Batman-based, it ends up in the hands of Two-Face. I think that's fair to say, but it's not the focus. Hmm. Um, It's utterly, utterly doolally. It's sort of like a... Uh, not not in mainstream continuity story, um, sort of like Dark Knight Returns or something like that, but written by a crazy person. Was there a noticeable change in the sort of the tone of the writing, given that there's a different translator? Yes, but I don't think it's the translation so much as the story just being a lot softer. Mm. Um, normally, it sort of it sort of moved away from noir tropes to quite an extent to sort of play around with the circus and with the beatniks and as a result he doesn't get knocked out quite so much and um, it just doesn't sort of feel like it's 
reliably treading the noir beats as as the previous ones have. It's harder to trace though because the previous yeah. so the first three three are pretty solid in noir. There's variants, but they're brought, they're quite closely nailed to noir. And then the fourth one, the New Orleans kind of jazz one, is a departure again. So there's some tonal shift, and this one is something else again. So I've got a problem with that. It just no, sort of feels no. different. Um, but it's hard to say. The original translator is also on board, I think, in, in some capacity. I'm not sure whether she's sort of the prime translator on it or just an editor. Mm. But it's still good. It's still worth it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no. I, yeah. Anyone who hasn't read Blackside just needs to pick up the first three as the giant hardcover. Because yeah. it's tremendous. Mm. Well, I think, the thing I enjoyed very much as well was um, Resident Alien, which is um, Peter Hogan and... Um, uh, Steve Parkhouse yeah. of the Bo Jeffries saga fame which is why you said oh that looks a bit like yeah yeah, mm. and it does it looks a little bit like the Bo Jeffries saga which which is also great um, and Resident Alien is it's quite it's a slightly throwaway book it's a, an American small town mystery essentially with the um, the quirky twist that the uh, reclusive lives halfway up the mountain goes fishing and hates people uh, doctor who is called in to solve the mystery of the murder of the town's previous GP, is a crashed alien using psychic powers to hide the fact that he's an alien. Not using them very hard, he's not particularly good at it. He's just a subtle misdirection and relies on people not seeing what they don't want to see. But basically he's a gangly grey alien wandering around in a tattered fishing jacket making observations about human nature, but it's kind of it's slightly tongue-in-cheek and it's, it's just a really fun, quite light book. I, I enjoyed it tremendously. There's, there's not there's not that much to say about it. Some of it's quite well structured, but it it does this small town mystery thing very well. There's quite a bit of nice misdirection about who's going to be the bad guy or kind of what's hiding in, in the underbelly of the town. But it, it doesn't overplay it. It's um, it reminded me a little bit of the the small town mystery section of American Gods almost. Mm. It sounds like they're kind of riffing on uh, Martian Manhunter from DC Comics in a slightly and he does way. look a bit like that. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, small town stuff you've been reading Essex County I have, I've been reading The Collected Essex County yes, by Jeff Lemire who we were talking about last week because of Trillium something like that, I I like Smith and Lemire Um, yeah, he's taken over Hawkeye once Fraction Mm. is off so it's going to be Jeff Lemire and Ramon Perez takeover, which is quite good I like Ramon Perez from Tale of Sand which is of course Yes. Essex County, for those who don't know. For those who don't know, it's about um, life in a very, very, very small town in Canada. Um, you know, just sort of farms back to back and a gas station that sells some stuff, just not much in the way of infrastructure, vast swathes of land between people, that kind of thing, and just the sort of, the, I guess the weird little personal sadnesses that build up over the years in that kind of an environment, you know, just the little, you know, the tiny tragedies, the people who go and try and make it in the big town and playing hockey and they have an accident or, you know, yeah. someone gets killed and it's it, it's only a tragedy to one or two people, but it just kind of, it's written and drawn in such a way where it really gets under your skin. It's, um, it's, I mean, it's very obviously still Jeff Lemire's style, but it's black and white, and it's very stark black and white. Mm-hmm. There's not much in the way of mid-tones, and it's just, I think, mm-hmm. 
it just looks a lot um, stronger and more distinct than like Sweet Tooth or anything of his where mm. there's a lot of colouring. Um, a bit like the Underwater Welder? Yes. Yeah. I think, again, it's probably starker than that. It's a lot earlier than Underwater Welder as well as his sort of first big collection of, of comics. But I really love the style in that. And it's very good for endless fields, as you say, mm. with just one tiny dot on the horizon of a water tower or something. Um, is there a sort of structuring story to it? Or? It's it's set across several volumes. It's sort of the fates of different bits of different generations of families, which slowly end up intertwining through sort of marriage and relationships mm. and stuff. So it starts off with a kid who's living with his uncle because his mother's just died, and just sort of he tries to lose himself in comics and superheroes and make his own stuff. Then it moves on to the story of um, two brothers both of whom went to play hockey in Toronto and didn't quite get there and sort of their relationship. And then the grandson of one of those brothers turns out to be the father of the kid who's just lost his mum, but he's not a father. He's still in the town, but he's not in a position to really do anything Mm. all that fatherly. And there's a nurse who kind of interacts with the two old guys who also is somehow related to all of them. And it's all just sort of... It very, very slowly, sort of across 500 pages kind of gently teases everything together but not not in a kind of and here's how the whole family ended up sort of lasting satisfaction way just kind of just more sort of highlighting and drawing out the bonds as a contrast against all of the unhappiness maybe and what does it leave you with it made me feel feelings and it's the first piece of art that's made me feel feelings in probably about six months so that was interesting um strange to remember that sensation but yeah we like art feels yeah it 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 did what it was trying to do and it did it extremely well um i don't know i find a lot of the time when i can see what something is trying to do or even if it's trying to do it quite well and it's just not quite reaching me then i don't get the emotional impact whereas this i couldn't really see the seams and i felt all of it and that Mm. was good it was nice for a change one thing that Sort of the the vast amounts of empty space, which it does sort of repeatedly return to as a visual motif, is it just allows for a sort of really, uh, really slowly jacked sense of pacing, um, and everything just feels like it's crawling, um, not in a bad way, but it just feels like this is this is not somewhere where a lot of things happen. It's just mm. very very slow and measured. Very insulated. Works. Mm. Would I enjoy it? Possibly. It's very cheap to find out, though, because every time Top Shelf do their digital sale each year, it's about two or three dollars to mm. download. Mm. Um, so it's also, it's, I mean, it's for a sort of big, hefty, five hundred page of a volume. I, I read it in maybe an hour, hour and a half in an evening. It goes. It's. It's sparse, both visually and verbally. It goes quickly. Mm. So, not a huge investment if you want to find out. Cool. So, Mr. Combrey. Nicely done. Nice, nicely done there. Oh, thanks for ruining it, jackass. What have you been reading? I've been reading a couple of things. I've been reading a lot, but uh, I'm not showing off by my <laughs> literacy. Or You did learn to read all those years ago. <laughs> yeah, you might as well use it. Yeah. I've um, been reading uh, Southern Bastards by Jason Aaron and Jason Latour. It's about 
bastards in the deep south. Um, so it basically, uh, it feels like someone's made a comic of a, of, of a Walter Hill movie. There's a grizzled uh, Vietnam vet comes back to the small uh, Alabama town that he's from um, to sort of sell his dad's house and move away. Um, and he finds that the entire place is being run by Coach Boss, the uh, town football coach, to whom everyone owes allegiance because small town football is a big deal. He keeps mm. winning for them. and uh, He's a coach and a boss. And, and he coached them all. Anyone who's successful in the town was, you know, they come up essentially through his uh, very successful high school football team and crime syndicate. So he has a sort of double lock on absolutely everything in the town. Um, and it's, it's very much that sort of, you know the movie Walking Tall? Where basically it's a man with a stick beating people until the town gets better. It's essentially that. It's sort of, his father was a legendary sheriff um, who um, seems to have died in the line of duty and was a real hard ass. Um, hence, signing up to fight in Vietnam. But he comes back and essentially takes up his father's ways. And it's uh, got a lot of that old family trauma meets mythic resonance thing going mm. on. Um, and that could be super clumsy, is it? No. Um, partly because it does draw quite heavily on a lot of stuff that I'm quite familiar with. So if you've read any Elmer Leonard um, or seen Walter, Walter Hill films, for example, then it's some of it's going to seem quite familiar. So it's it lives in safe tropes to an extent. Mm. Um, but also it's just very well written. Um, it's sort of, it's essentially the character's backstory is told in monologue as he makes repeated calls to someone you don't really see um, and just talks into their voicemail about why he can't leave yet and why he has to do this and what he sort of feels about his father. And that could be clumsy, but it's not overwritten. It's, it sort of feels like what someone would say. It's not saying too much, but it's telling you a lot. Yeah. Um, so... I'll talk about it a bit later because it's going to feed into what we talk about in terms of um, violence in comics. But uh, I thought it was really well done, and it's it's not something I've really seen elsewhere in comics. Mm. So I like that. Good volume. Is it quite recent? Yeah. So the first the first vol- volume just came out in trade paperback from Image. All right. It's been running, I think, since the start of the year. How uh, do you think it's got much further to go? Uh, it's definitely got a second volume in it, but it's hard to say. It could um, it could run and run. I mean, Justified should have been cancelled three seasons ago, but uh, you can definitely drag these things out. Um, I don't know. I definitely enjoyed the first one. I would read more. Cool. Um, the other thing I have been reading that I want to tell the world about, or a very small subset of the world, is... Um, the Motherless Oven by Rob Davis, uh, which is a strange little book, to be honest. Um, it looks peculiar. Yes, it's um, it's about a kid called Scarpa Lee, who is going to die in three weeks' time, um, and it's never really explained why but everyone's death is prophesied in the world that they live in and it's part of their school records 
So, um, because it's it's this sort of that that that's actually quite a good summation of the comic. It's this mixture of um, very very odd sort of mythic intrusions into something that we would recognise as small town life, essentially growing up in a reasonably small town. Um, so you have things like you have the death day. Um, children make their parents um, and you very rarely glimpse these but they are objects they're sort of robots an automata um, sometimes they're statues and, and generally for the most part you don't see that much of them which sort of it does a couple of things firstly it's focused on the children and their lives are slightly separate from their parents in that they're mm. sort of 15, 16 and they're they're at that point where they overlap, but they're distinct. Right. Um, and it also, obviously, it magnifies the strangeness of these objects, robots that act like parents, um, but are things and were made by the children in a way that they don't remember. Um, it seems so where do the... Where do the children come from? How does the society function? It sort of addresses and it sort of doesn't. There's a, there's a bit where they talk about it and say people make children and then children make their parents. Mm. Um, but it doesn't quite go all the way into explaining it. Mm. So the, the motherless oven of the title is the place where the children make the parents. And um, after Scarpa's father vanishes, um, they set out to find it and try and find him. His father is some sort of brass uh, brass contraption with bellows uh, and sails and apparently is the most impressive dad so there's still this sort of right. sense of, of, of pride in the parents but in the sense of that he has made a sort of sailboat on wheels mm. um, as a father figure yeah well who um, wouldn't it's just it's just full of this strangeness um, and it sort of uses it to explore childhood um, and sort of shifting allegiances and friendships and things like that and what people find important. I flipped through it in Forbidden Planet and it looks splendid. It's, it's beautiful. The style, the style is as kooky as the premise. I want to borrow it. Can I borrow it? You can. It sounds yes. like a thing that I would enjoy. It's, it's sat on my desk upstairs if you, you'll probably get to it before I do. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely... So it's, it's brilliant. It's probably my favourite comic of the year. It's just full of incredibly inventive stuff, both visually and in terms of language. Mm. So... For ages, they're talking about... I hope this doesn't spoil it. It's a small thing. But for ages, they talk about there being bands and kids have T-shirts of bands and posters of bands. But it turns out that bands means in the sense of roving bands, mm. um, gangs of youths, essentially. And there are lots of little sort of subtle meanings that are slightly shunted to one side. Mm. So when um, when the sort of the Scarpa leaves home to find his father with a couple of friends, they are then a band and posters start to appear detailing what they're doing, mm. um, which is just fantastic. There are people constantly out in the morning putting up posters explaining what all of the bands are up to. Um, and when they have run-ins with the other ones, they're sort of finding out what's happening from these posters on bus stops. Are they ever called Battle of the Bands? 
no. That's a shame. No point. No point. That's a no. trick missed, maybe. Yeah, but some of them are. Um, some of them. Are that has the fantastic feel of an idea that sat in someone's notebook for like ten years until they finally had a story that it fitted in. Well, it feels like it feels like all of those in a good way. little bits. Um, it, so everything. It sounds like it could be completely discordant, but it's mm. not. It's it's this beautifully whole realized thing. Um, and it's, I haven't fully unpacked it yet. I need to actually sit and read through it again to sort of really get into it. But it's one of those things that there's enough there on the surface to pick apart and then it sort of sits and just rattles around inside your head. Um, it's lovely. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's probably going to win a whole load of plaudits next year and then a lot of people will start buying it. Um, but we were here first. We were here first. Motherfuckers. So you probably recognise this stuff. You did an adaptation of Don Quixote over the last couple mm. of years, which okay. has been sort of winning things at the British Comic Awards. Mm. And this is his first sort of completely original um, original story, and it's fantastic. A lot of good people have been nominated for the British Comic Awards this year. Yeah, yeah. That's nice to see. It's been really good. No idea. Um, Katie, Green Katie Green was up for one for... For Encyclopedia. Uh, like, no, for Life in My Shadow. Oh yes, Light of Machine. I think he was up for the Snow Queen, rather, mm-hmm. that's what I'm thinking of. I think John Allison's yeah. got something. <laughs> yeah, John Allison's got something. Um, oh, this is like being back on the smack. So the lights keep switching on and off uh, in the room that we're sat in. It's startling. So, so Roger is not actually a heroin addict, Lucy is not muttering. Thank fuck, as, as though she's had some sort of, I don't know, campaign of intimidation to make sure John Allison was on the ballot. I don't know. Hey, it succeeded. I think he's done it himself. He made a child cry last time. What a man. Yeah, he won, and then there was just this child sat crying and yelled, I wanted my daddy to win. <laughs> quite cute, I thought. Yeah. Adorable. No, that's pretty oh, good. They, they must have trained the kid to do that. John Allison ruins Ruins a child's life. What a story. Yeah. It's just, it's all adding to the personal mythos of John Allison. Yeah. He was standing next to an angry cone of fries the other day. Did you see that on Twitter? I did, yes. Yeah. The fries were eating themselves. Yeah. What? Yeah. One of those giant, um... Like you get in, you've been to the Netherlands? Yeah. Like outside the the fruits place, just Mm. like a kind of person, like an anthropomorphic fruit cone eating Mm. its own fruits. Oh, that's disturbing. Yeah. It's worse when it's hot dogs. The Belgian mayo is good, though. Yeah. Gotta love the Belgian mayo. Mm-hmm. That's not a sex move. Well, it might be. Neither is hot dog autofellatio. That might be a sex move as well. It involves quite a lot of brine. The spicy <laughs> mustard. Or fried onions. Oof. <laughs> oh, that's grim. Oh. We have wide-ranging sexual appetites here on the Consequential Podcast. <laughs> you can take that bit out if you want. Crab bra. Crab bra. <laughs> oh, golly. Should just be, because that's ambiguous, be very clear that it is made of crabs. It is not for crabs. Crabs do not have teats. It's also not calling someone bro with a drool after expositing <laughs> about crustaceans. Crabs, bra. <laughs> Not with the inter- the plurals internal. So, violence. Yes, the topic um, of this week's podcast, 
that we just didn't get around to last time and were mercilessly taunted for, mm. I would say. By whom? Uh, by York Tell, the guy that wrote Ricky Rouse Has a Gun. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, whoops. He felt, rightly so, that it was amusing that um, you described his comic as chaotic or something yes. on a podcast where we were too fucking ham-fisted to get to our own point and just talked about apple juice for an hour. Yeah, the, 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 the dude might be right. Yeah, yeah no, he's absolutely right. He's got a point. And in honour of that... Let's let's talk about violence. We're doing it for you, man whose name I've already forgotten. You are mean. It, I'm not on purpose, I'm not mean, I'm just scatty. That's the point we just made. York Tittleson, right? Tittleson? Tittleson. Tittleson, where did I get that? I think, I don't know how it's pronounced. No, it's Tittleson, I don't know where I got the ending. I'm a terrible person. We're all terrible people. Sorry, that So we are, of course, the people who should be talking about violence in comic books. So I have a theory. Sometimes it must it's be bunnies. Good. Sometimes it's bad. Context is important. Well, golly, Mr. Convery, I think you might have cracked it. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to skip to the end on it. I think but we're I also done don't here. Wanna, I think we're just yeah. done here. I also don't want to bury the lead on this one. Yeah. Um, lest anyone think this is going to be a, a celebration of violence. I mean, we've got so much to celebrate. Violence is quite far down the list. Violence has brought a lot. We've got Krampus. Mm. Although Krampus is nearly Krampus. It's nearly Krampus season. It's nearly Krampus season. I can't fucking I've wait. Got a, I've got a Krampus comic here. Um, have you, sir? Yeah, I have. I once wrote some Krampus erotica. Yeah, no, I, d- Krampus I, I got this. Um, I got this for you um, because I knew that you were sexually aroused by Krampus. <laughs> no, I am so, not. The Krampus erotica was one of the most disturbing things I've ever read. Yeah, yeah, you say. This is Twas the Night Before Krampus by Tim Barron and Ben Avery, and Roger's just gonna just gonna give us a, a crack, so to speak. Ooh, a cramp. Not crack crack one out. A little, hopefully. little crampsy. Do you notice how easily I've derailed you? <laughs> yeah. All I had to do was say Krampus <laughs> and we're off in a different direction. Because Krampus is aces. I actually I mean I, I've been Basically, I have no feelings about Krampus myself. Krampus is a tool I use to manipulate the two of you. Your joy in Krampus is just it's like puppet strings. You're, you're my marionettes, This, is, this is really quite nicely drawn. This is... This is so hang on, you're, I'm just you're using Krampus as like a code word to just set us off. Yeah, basically. If I don't want to douche stuff like, you know, talk about <laughs> violence or whatever. Ooh. I don't even need to say words. He's just it's seen just... Krampus. <laughs> And yes, straight away he has an erection. <laughs> oh, for fuck's That's sake. what the giggling noise was. If you just punch it a bit, it'll go down. <laughs> I think that was how that story ended up reading ended. No, um, I am not sexually aroused by Krampus, you strange, no, no, no. strange man. Your crush says otherwise. You're still reading. Let's let's put Krampus aside. Um, so sorry about Krampus. So <laughs> give me the name of my autobiography, and it's full. <laughs> Get the seasonal gift market. So, yeah. So your 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 theory, your your very intricate theory that yeah. sometimes violence is good and sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's something else and that context matters. Um, yeah, sure. Why not? But let's dig into that a bit. Okay. So you're the man to do this. You have your fancy spoon for digging. I do. Just got my digging spoon. No, I was going to say a literary degree. <laughs> I was, was going to say spoon. Yes, <laughs> yes, you were. Which no. is a lot better than saying Krampus erection. <laughs> put it Bra away. made of crabs. <laughs> Bra made of Bra crabs. Made of Krampus. <laughs> I 
World's best crossover. <laughs> oh shit, we've nailed this whole marketing business. Oh. We've sorted violence, we've sorted marketing, we've sorted our next product line. I mean, I think we can go home at this point. We can't go home at this Krampus point. Krampus Consolidated, we? We Krampus can't. Incorporated. We can't go home at this point, no, no. Roger has to lead us in a series of interesting and topical anecdotes about violence. What, you just want me to discuss my childhood at boarding school? Maybe, yeah. No, um... As my old Latin teacher used <laughs> Save it for the Christmas episode. Uh, so I don't have any big, any kind of big theories about, about violence and comics. I do think it's interesting. There's a certain amount of, of interesting sort of lineage stuff. So in the early days, sort of before and around the inception of the comics code, I guess comics had its sort of its video nasties moment or, you know, the, the moral panic moment. <clears throat> and some of that was sexualization and some of it was authority and rebellion and some of it, quite a lot of it was violence. You've got the early sort of crime comics superman stuff which rests quite heavily on very cartoonish not particularly violent violence and then you've got a sort of a gradual escalation into something in the sort of moral panic era then a declawing and I'm being very I'm generalising horribly here um, yeah so I mean there was there was one in the run up to the, the sort of Frederick Wortham stuff and the big big moral panic around comics um, they moved much more heavily into sensationalized true crime mm. which was a large part of what caused them to be noticed but yeah you're right in saying that you know it's always been there from sort of the origins of the very early superhero comics and um, then so with the very cartoonish stuff the stuff that looks like Adam West Batman yes I know there's a comic but the kind of the big kapow stuff and if you look sort of early X-Men comic strips even have a lot of the big sort of the visual the visual sound effects and things like that that heavily emphasises the impact of a punch without, whilst completely kind of sidelining the physical effect violence, the, the, the kind of, it, the very heavily cartoonish violence where it's very clearly a narrative tool, but it, it's still there, it's still happening, you're still punching your way out of a problem or destroying shit. But it doesn't sort of fetishise the distortion of the human ragdoll. But in hiding mm. that, there's a, another problem in that you ignore consequence. Yes. And so, one of the things I think that is interesting, and it's kind of where I was going with that, is that... Sorry. No, 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 it's cool. Is in... When partly in a reaction to criticism and partly out of sort of concern or what have you, it... it the stuff that initially became more graphic, when it wasn't fetishistic or sensational like the true crime stuff, was... Arg and this is, this is a very hackneyed argument. Was arguably, not necessarily always, but arguably more responsible because of this contextual awareness. But then strayed off into this sort of fetishizing path. And always has a tendency to do. So you get something a lot more modern. Once everything's settled down a bit and we can all just sleep easy without worrying about... Reds um, under the bed. Yeah, or... American social panic coming to get you every single day, then you get a lot of more mature stuff, and there is still the cartoonishness. There is still the kind of ridiculous, ludicrous, itchy and scratchy style point and laugh hyper violence. Um, and then there's also the whole sort of spectrum of genuinely. Well, I, I think I'm making this up as I go along a little bit. I wonder if we needed to go through the panic and the reaction and the various different stages to get to the point where 
we can have comics that do genuine, realistic, semi-fetishistic renditions of violence that still have the power to shock and upset, that actually can deliver the full emotional whack. So I'm thinking in particular of something like We Three, which combines being extraordinarily graphic with the kind of cutesy animals thing and the physical violation with the cyborg stuff, um, yeah. and also the pathos of the, the lives of the creatures. Kind of, it, it's really rolling together quite a lot of stuff there. It's nasty. It's not an easy read. No, it's deeply unpleasant in a lot of places. Have you read me three? I have not. Um, it's You've got these three household pets that are turned in a lab into cyborg killing machines and then get out into the world and they just, they, they're sli- slightly augmented intelligence mm-hmm. and they, they just... Fuck shit up? Yeah, but they kind of just want to hug. Like the dog just wants to Ooh. go home... It just it can pretty much it can say a couple of words and it just keeps saying home. The dog wants to go home. Oh fuck! The cat wants to cuddle. The rabbit's got no fucking clue what's going on. Mm. Um, and they're gently adorable in giant cyborg battle suits. And it's is it is it Frank Quitely? It is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So his his amazing detailed gorgeous very crisp art and some beautiful panel structure. And there's this this horrifying scene where the cat fires. Um, flechettes. Flechettes. Yeah, cl- flechette cluster munitions at a bunch of policemen. And the panels expand outwards into lots of little micro-panels, each showing the impact of the flechettes and kind of there's one where a finger is split in half through the nah. hair, kind of one in an eye, and it basically, he's just gone through all of the hot-button things that squick people out uh-huh. and put one in a panel in this kind of ballistic line. And as a fetishistic, I've got to stop saying, it's not fetishistic, as something in the idiom of the glorification of violence, in that sort of the bad end of video games idiom, the bad end of comics idiom, it's a, it's a virtuoso study of that but delivered with the full kind of violatory impact and it's it's the grossest thing I've seen that I thought was brilliant yeah uh, I think you're only saying that it sort of it needed to go through the trial by fire before it could be used in useful and meaningful ways where where it's designed to address violence um, so Grant Morrison is very good at that and another thing that does bits of it is um Flex Mentallo, which is kind of a very quick um, journey through comics history and sort of has its four issues. First issue is the golden age, um, where the character fits best because he's this sort of very optimistic thing, and then it's Silver Age and it's still fine. And then you sort of hit the 80s and it suddenly becomes this character out of time in very violent, very seedy world, and it's quite an interesting look at someone's sort of memories of childhood comics and stuff he created himself because it's all sort of filtered through the brain of this other character sort of moving through the history of of comics and how sort of superhero comics in particular have changed and become more violent less hopeful you see some of this trajectory in the punisher i mean that starts out yeah that starts out gritty 80s violence but it kind of it follows the curve it depends so it sort of started out doing what they could within superhero comics when Marvel got a little bit more cinema influence in the 70s and started doing, you know, The Punisher was essentially a Dirty Harry takeoff mm. um, initially. So the wronged copy wants revenge. Not that Dirty Harry ever left the police force. He just wore some natty knitwear. Um, but then you have Garth Ennis's run on Punisher, and this is one of the things that sort of made me think about the being absolute context. But it's incredibly violent. But it's violent as a response to superhero comics in general, because Garth Ennis didn't want to be writing them. Um, so he does this completely over-the-top um, run on a mainstream comics property, 
whereby you know he has essentially does not want to be writing Wolverine, for example, and so has him appear as this sort of catchphrase spouting moron who eventually gets sort of hit with a flamethrower and run over with a um, uh, with a, a machine that flattens steamroller. Yeah, gets run over with a steamroller. The flattening machine. The flattener. Yeah, and because it's just it's this sort of completely cartoonish over the top thing. Mm. It's absolutely fine, even though it sort of sits in the the, the Marvel universe because it sort of it sets its stall out as being a sardonic Tom and Jerry. And then yes, kind of goes on to do Preacher. Or was that before or Preacher was before. Okay. So also does Preacher which it deploys violence, cartoonish violence quite interestingly, although I think far in a far more tone deaf way. Yes. Yeah, um, I would agree. So it uses it for comedy beats as well as for poignancy, but not very even-handedly at Preacher's times. a lot more scatological in its sense of humour. Mm. Um, and it's a lot less even. It's much longer run. And he was a lot mm. younger when he wrote it. And exactly the same problem comes out far more strongly and far worse in The Boys. Yes. Where some of the violence beats are semi-poignant in that it's awful people doing awful things in ways that we haven't necessarily been shown, except we have so many times by now. I think that's yeah. part of it. If the boys had been ten years earlier, maybe. The scene where the speedster rips off the guy's girlfriend's arms, and it yeah. is gross, and as a, as a kind of exaggerated violence moment, it does work, but then there's another one on the next page and the next page, and then it's just kind of... There's a huge signal-to-noise problem there. Yeah. Um, I think with the boys, so I've only read the first three trades of it and sort of gave up at that point because... Oh God, I only read about the first four issues. So. It's not really doing anything. Um, it's not sort of deconstructing it particularly because... Did I, did I imagine this or did it also have a bunch of really quite shoddy rape jokes? Did I imagine that? Certainly. Uh, I don't think it had... Well, it not had, no, per se, no. but one of the, one of the female characters sort of implied that she's only going to get this job if she hmm. fillets a whole bunch of sort of grinning Superman analogues. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of, but it still it, it lacked a certain finesse. But just, but just, mm. just doing that does not mean it's a yeah. commentary on anything. Yeah, um, it's not sort of a, a, the obvious touchstone, but it's not doing what Watchmen does. Hmm. It's not sort of. Um, it's not sort of taking apart the, the sort of superhero morality doesn't work in a real world setting or anything like that. It's just going, her, her, look at these people, they're awful, her, her, look, these ones are going to punch them. Yeah. Um, maybe it turns into more than that. I don't know, but I couldn't be bothered because it was just drudgery, really, mm -hmm. trying to read through that. Um, it just... And the, the focus... I mean, there's a huge you, you talk about context being important but I think that's emer that emerges in or, or we see it refracted through or it, it, it's on some level related to focus so if you I, it, it, with the panel composition of Watchmen this is maybe a little bit easier than it sometimes would be but when Rorschach does something horrifying mm -hmm. it's totally different to usually what's on either side of it or part of an escalation of him doing things that are totally different to what's on either side of it with a couple of exceptions but we tend to get quite strong detail focuses um, so things like um, crushing the guy's hand with the bottle or the yeah. splitting of the dog's skull and then the pull to the uh, or from the um, ink blots and there are there's a very strong control of focus on both 
immediate violent moments and, as you alluded at the beginning, consequence. It's, it's, there's very little, well, not all that much violence in Watchmen that isn't about something. Mm. No. That's one of, the, one of the major failings of the movie mm. was that the violence was genuinely fetishised. Um, and it was... Like, it, it, there were people trying to be good in Watchmen and in the film, characters like Night Owl were just absurdly violent, sort of worse mm. than Rorschach in occasional ways. Um, nipping back to the boys, actually, there's a couple of things that I'll touch, that, that I'll touch on. One is Derek Robertson, who does the artwork for the boys, um, also did Transmetropolitan, which... Really? Yeah. But Transmet looks kind of good. I think it's the colouring on the boys that does a lot. It's quite quick and photoshoppy. Plus, bonus, pointless Simon Pegg. Yeah, that's inexplicable. But, so, Transmet uses occasional bursts of cartoonish violence, Mm. um, but usually it really ramps up and down. So across, across the whole series, it's not consistent in its portrayal, but usually within the context of the story it's telling at the time, it works. And it tends to be an index of Spider's mood and of the escalation of the story. So it's a real hinge point when he actually hurts someone as opposed to just making them shit themselves. Yeah. But the other thing is um, Crossed, which again is Garth Ennis. Which I've not actually read. Um, So the original one was an eight-issue miniseries. It's since continued as a web series. But it's sort of... It's it's a post-apocalyptic story. That's probably why I haven't read it. but it's an interesting one. So rather than zombies, um, it, this is going to sound high concept, but it's actually more of a meaningful change than it, than it otherwise would be. Um, rather than zombies, the humans are infected with uh, an overwhelming urge to commit acts of sadism. Um, and you can tell because they have a sort of cross in, sort of burnt or decayed flesh on their face. And you can tell that they are... The fucked up ones. Yeah. Um, and it's not sort of. It's it's there's a, there's a difference to people wanting to escape things that just want to eat them, things that used to look human, to this uh, intelligent, imaginative desire to do violence, um, and the way that people fall apart, the way that the sort of survivors fall apart, and the things that they're sort of faced in terms of the psychology of of dealing with this. Um, is much better handled than, or it's much, it's, it's, it's well handled, particularly by the standards of Garth Ennis, who can go a little too far into comedy. Um, and it's just, it's much more interesting, I thought, than yet another zombie story. Mm. Um, so it is quite hard to read, it's quite hard to stomach at times, but it's um, fairly excessive violence in places, but well applied within that story, and it's probably about as far as you can go while still claiming that. Mostly, we've talked about a lot of superhero stuff, or kind of the vertigo-y, unreal and odd words, world sort of superhero-adjacent stuff, like like, yeah. uh, like Preacher. High-intensity kind of high betrayals of violence aren't unique to that, but it does seem to be rarer elsewhere. So, you know, there's not that much in sad comics, and where there is, it tends to be genuinely upsetting. I find it's more the violence of human emotions that causes the problem in sad comics. Yeah. But the stuff off to the side, so... 
historical epics, for example, like 300, mm. um, which the comics nowhere near is. I wish you hadn't ruled out the word fetishized because that's what it really is. Sometimes it is, but I was overusing it. Um, the comic's not as fetishized, but it's still there, and obviously it's an implicit endorsement of fascism for the mm. most part. I mean, things um, were very violent in the old days. You're much more likely to get murdered and stuff. By Greeks. By Greeks? Yeah. By a lot of people. Did you, did you see that there's, a, a, again, quite violent, but essentially a riposte to 300 called Three by Kieran Gillen? No. Um, which is about um, the, the Spartans used to keep slaves, helots. And, yes. Um, uh, really, quite a lot. They outnumbered the Spartan population at one point, which was a fascinating reflection of modern ideas about policing by consent. Um, this is, um, yeah, this is this is sort of at the point before Spartan society sort of started to slide irreparably. But it's about three of these helots on the run from the Spartan hunt, because mm. they used to hunt their slaves each year for sport. Not, you know, all of them, but certain numbers. A selection. Um, yeah. And hey, it's, we're one general election away from that. I know, I know. But essentially it's, it's interesting. As it's still a violent book, but it's sort of a big middle finger to Frank Miller's idealised Sparta, which I thought was mm. actually quite a neat uh, way of... Um, playing in the same sandpit whilst, mm. you know, sticking your tongue out. So, I mean, something, something you, well, I was going to say alluded to, but said. Um, <laughs> that illusion. Um, illusion, we've, illusion. Maybe. We've talked the... Vowels, no, sorry. We, we've talked, um, Mr. Conroy and I, almost exclusively about physical violence. Mm. And, yeah. Um, trying to formulate some kind of witty, self-deprecating statement about, ho oh, ho, and we're also two men. But, um, I, I don't, I'm not, oh. I'm not sure there's... Rumour has it you both have stones. But, um, I'm not sure there's anything particularly salient there, but, uh, there are, there are... I guess, I, if, if I can pick up where you're leaving yeah. off, I think my specialism is probably emotional violence in comics. It's... It's the shit you get in, um, for instance, I, my mother, it's just the little subtleties of family emotional abuse, and it's the same thing in Susceptible, which mm. I wrote up for the site a while ago, I think. It's the French-Canadian French girl. French-Canadian girl, yeah. yeah, who also has a horrible relationship with her mother. It's, um, it's blankets, it's the, mm. it's the ways that I think a lot of sad people end up feeling compelled to portray the, you know, the little emotional violence is done towards them that made them the sad people they are today. Maybe not so little. I don't want to trivialise it. But and some of the self-directed, so um, uh, Light is in My Shadow. Yeah, oh Jesus. Phenomenally personally abusive. And, and well, not just personally, she suffers. The other kind of, of things, abuse. But, yeah. It's kind of, there's a temptation, I think, maybe to, because of the uh, sensationalism around the sort of 80s stuff and the fact that mm. the physical violence is so graphical and comic the graphical medium thing there maybe is a tendency to focus on that and also because some of the superhero stuff takes it so far but I mean for me comics are actually a lot the kind of comics I read anyway are a lot better at doing emotional violence than anything I mean for me, I don't that was my question is how do the yeah I, I, don't, I don't really read sort of quote unquote action stuff it's I've read a lot of sort of singles and firsts of series where it opens with a great big burst of activity and violence. And I've talked before about how actually I find that kind of thing really hard to follow visually. Yeah. It totally turns me off. I need 
that's and I realise that it must be a hook that works for some people because mm. so many things are doing it as a way and oh there's some violence happening I wonder what this violence could be all about but for me it's a total yeah. total turn off and if I'm going to enjoy the series later I need a, an emotional hook and I guess it seems to be more and maybe this is again just about the way I process stuff visually but it seems to be much better suited as a medium for the really small and the really personal and the really interior and exploring those spaces more than it is a great big set piece of... I mean, if you want to do visual violence, film is excellent for mm. that, for instance. It, for me, in ways that comics can't really live up to. I would, I would, I would argue in the defence of the kind of point focus I've talked about mm. as, a, as a thing that comics can do as well as film, if not perhaps better, yeah. if you want to look at violence and its immediate consequences. But that point focus also works extraordinarily well for the other stuff. Mm. Immediate focus as part uh, is is kind of key there. It's very rare for there to be consequences, um, be they emotional, physical, whatever. It's just move on. Um, so I guess the sad comics are about the consequences. Mm. Yeah. This is how this is how I got fucked up, and this is how it played out for me. It seems to be you know the kind of meta narrative of a lot of the stuff that I really like. Yes. This is something I found quite interesting about Exit Wounds, which I also read this week, which. From the title, you'd think, but it's um, it's set in in Israel in the aftermath of a of a bombing. I think a suicide bombing, but I'm not 100 certain. And it's it's kind of the sad comics, and it's very non-actiony. It's nothing. You never see an explosion. It's set. It's set. It's set in a world though where being aware of or afraid of all of this stuff is so aggressively normalised. You know, where everyone does some degree of military service. So mm-hmm. there's this horrendous set of shared experiences and. It's, and it's, it is a, a literal and reasonable ever-present threat. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm not trivialising that. No, no, slightly. of course. But, it's, um, but to a... To a, Brit- a British reader who doesn't know much about Israel, it's an interesting absence, and I don't know whether it feels entirely normal, so I'm more familiar with that, but you kind of there's a degree of almost blaséness to some of the characters and the way that it presents this sort of everyday feeling as, as everyday... Um, Conspicuous by its absence and then at moments pressing in and very good at creating that atmosphere and also then very good at the bits of sort of point focus of things like debris and everyday chit-chat in a mortuary. Um, I guess from your description they're the first thing I think of as Persepolis with the sort of enclosing religious stiflement of mm-hmm. society and sort of how that becomes very normalised yeah. and then, but you know, you get moments yeah. of... I oh think God, this is awful. You know, little Persepolis bits of focus is, on damaged buildings mm. that suddenly remind you mm-hmm. that uh, Persepolis is fascinating in that sort of it's it's you never see images of Iran sort of pre-cultural revolution, mm. um, and it just seems bafflingly liberal compared to what you think of as Iran now. It's also it's 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 what I think would easily inevitably happen here if the winds went the wrong way, as in there are a bunch of people who sort of almost as a, as a stratum of society really strongly disagree with the prevailing regime, and yet they, you know, they veil their daughters and make sure that they are obedient so as not to get hurt, and they manage to internalise and normalise that whilst hating it all the time. But everybody lives with it, you know, they don't, nobody's... I mean, people are, but people aren't running away as much as I think they should be. <laughs> And that's not, that's not my call. That's not for me to make. Yeah. But, and I kind of I think the same thing would probably happen here. Mm-hmm. Maybe it already is. Maybe that's a bit inflammatory. Don't know. Hard to negotiate. Mm. 
Okay. We're not there yet, but I can easily see how we might be. Well, yeah, so it's a, it's a fairly common joke, particularly as the, um, the Overton window slams to the right and the UK becomes a petty, unpleasant, reactionary little shithole. It's, it's quite a, a common refrain to the, oh, God, one more fucking Tory victory and I'm moving to Scandinavia. Um, we're never going to do it. No, it, it's too hard. Yeah. This, this is so easier. This with injustices this, is easier than moving to Scandinavia. How much of this awful crap will we put up with? Clearly quite a lot, which is horribly depressing. Funnily enough, we haven't mentioned V for Vendetta. No. Um, well, in a couple of years we won't need to, eh? Um, but yes, that's, that's uh, definitely another thing that... Um, and that's got a... ...consequences of yeah, violence. And justification, which is something we've not really talked about. But, yes. Um, that is about instantiating a very elaborate tension between acceptable and unacceptable, kind of what it, between ends and means and all sorts of things on both sides of its notional argument. It also um, draws a line between fighting a battle and maintaining a peace mm. in the sort of sacrifice of the original V um, towards the end. I doubt that's not a spoiler, but it came out mm. in 1983, so you know, you've had a chance. Fuck, 83? Um, yeah. Really? But when Before some, but not all of us were born. Started, yeah. Um, it's um, there's the sort of point towards the end where the, the the V that is the fighter must give way to Evie instead, mm. who is there to maintain, to lead, um, and you know mm. there needs to be a different person now. It's not the same. The violence, those techniques won't work anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's a slightly more considered take on something that isn't, but looks like um, a superhero comic to an mm. extent. I don't. I don't. I, I don't. I think we've kind of meandered around your um, initial thesis, but I think it was you know, sufficiently uh, fatuously generic as to be basically unassaultable. So um, we, we've probed it as well as we can, yeah. and this committee is giving you a PhD. Yeah, I think grudgingly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not yours. We we need to. It's a PhD in violence. Yeah. Oh. I did karate for a couple of years. How was that? You roundhouse kicked a guy in the face. Yeah, not on purpose. Not on purpose. So, so clearly he wasn't that good, good at it. No, well, he, he wasn't. That's the point. He was supposed to block. Oh. He was supposed to be paying attention. Yeah, he wasn't. Sounds a lot like victim blame. If you don't, pay, if you don't pay attention, you get kicked in the face. It's that's the I'm first saying. rule of karate. Yeah, <laughs> that's, the, that's literally the first thing they teach you. No, that's not true. They teach you how to bow first. And then they, you, they teach you to make that grunting sound and to stand right. Do you have to make the sound, or is that just for effect? No, I think that's just for effect. Okay. There are some if people who really say, you know, it. channeling energy, and the, the shouting is Those people are idiots. Yeah. It's, it's, you shout if you like the thought of shouting, and if you don't, you don't have to shout. That's, yeah, that's I karate. So. This okay. is, this it is sounds inclusive. Questions and answers from the Dave Convery sort of remembers karate <laughs> class. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's been... Well, it's surprisingly non-violent, really. You had to punch your erection away earlier, but apart from that, it's it's been apart from Roger's very poor very weenie. <laughs> yeah, just strap it down, get oh, some duct God. tape or something. Tape it up into the gap. <laughs> no, that's where he's smuggling his heroin. Of course. I thought that was the void. I get confused as to where the gap ends and the void begins. 
fucking people. Don't stare into the void. Shut up. It stares back. back. Surprisingly hairy. <laughs> well, it's been very, very pleasant. It's for been me. some lovely Krampus and Orinus chat. Krampanus? Kranus. Good night. Adios. Krampus. Hail Krampus. <laughs> or Hail Krampus. Apparently there's a glove you can buy or something that means you can punch anything to death. <laughs>